Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to another edition of Talking Metal. This is not going to be the History of Oz episode that I promised. That's not ready yet. I'm still working on that, guys. Hope to have that to you soon. These uh, History of Oz records take uh, records. I mean, podcasts take a little more preparation than the average Talking Metal podcast. So trying to get my facts straight, trying to get you another great episode of Talking Metal's History of Oz. If you haven't heard the first History of Oz, go back and listen to it. Um, it is episode 395 of Talking Metal. And just to pat myself on the back a little bit, pat John's back a little bit, even though John's not here. He's currently out in Las Vegas with Mike Portnoy and Ace at a Rockaroonie Fantasy Camp happening in Las Vegas. Metalocalypse reference right there. Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp is where John is, uh, is at this weekend doing some rocking out there. Or maybe not. Maybe just helping Ace organize his life. So, yeah, to pat myself on the back, and John, too, we've done some great episodes. I think, really, since episode 395, we've been on a bit of a roll here. That, that 395 was the history of Oz, 1973, which deals with Ozzy's life and just hard rock and heavy metal in general in the year of 1973. I'm hoping that the very next episode will be another one of these History of Oz episodes from dealing with one of Ozzy's years in the 80s, and we'll look at his life and and the musicians who have been in and out of his life and what they were all up to in 1986. It'll be a fun listen, so stay tuned for that rock and roll heavy metal history lesson coming up. Speaking of Ozzy... He is in the studio with the greatest doom metal band, if you will, of all time, Black Sabbath, the inventors of heavy metal, Black Sabbath. And when you think about doomy, heavy music that Black Sabbath invented, a lot of times you think of these haunting riffs and haunting sounds. And I tell you, today's guest is a woman named Allison Chesley, and her band, or stage name, if you will, is Helen Money. 
I really think that fans of that old Black Sabbath style and of just like haunting doom metal in general will dig what she's up to. She plays cello and she really makes some intense, dark, and at times beautiful music. So I really suggest you check her out. A great cello player, Allison Chesley. She'll be on the podcast with me in just a little bit. She also played with Anthrax on Warship Music. So we'll check out her work with Anthrax. We'll check out a little of her solo work with her band or project, if you will, Helen Money. And we will also talk to her later in the podcast. So stay tuned for that. Right now, let me tell you that let me tell you that Udo is putting out re-releasing, I guess, all his uh, all all the classic catalog on AFM Records. You know, his post accept stuff. Of course, yeah, he did end up back and accept later on. I forget when that was, late nineties, early two thousands, but uh, all his stuff that he basically did in the late 80s and through the 90s is being re-released on AFM Records. Let's dip into a classic track right now, going back to 1989. This is off the Mean Machine record, which again is re-released on AFM Records with all sorts of cool packaging and bonus tracks and stuff, so definitely pick it up. Again, off the Mean Machine record by Udo this is Break the Rules. Everything is wrong, and yet they all deny it. But the time will come when they can hide it. Somebody says, hey man, what's up with you? I say, just make way, cause I'm sick of you.
a little Udo Dirk Schneider with Break the Rules off the Mean Machine record, the Udo U period D period O period band record, the anniversary edition reissued on AFM Records. Big thanks to Dustin for sending that one to me. What a classic, what a classic. What a classic voice and what a unique voice. I've been thinking a lot about voices in heavy metal and hard rock and just rock in general. The thing I think I relate to, because there's so many good singers out there, you know, you watch a show like American Idol and, and these, whether they're doing country rock or, 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 you know, soul or whatever, I hear these singers on American Idol and so, of them, so many of them are so talented and, and just have such great pitch and can hit the notes. But that's not what makes a good singer. A good singer to me is somebody like Ozzy Osbourne, uh, you know, Axl Rose. Now, I start with those two because a lot of them might not be considered, like, technically the best singer. Although I think both those guys, Ozzy in his prime, had good range, and so did Axl. But what made them so likable is their color and unique character to their voice. They were originals. And I, when I hear so many bands that just have singers that just kind of sound so generic, like these American Idol contestants, it, you know, it only gets me so so far into their music. I, I have trouble a lot of times relating to, and I hate to say it, but a guy like Miles Kennedy to me, you know, who I've been tweeting with some of you about, is... You know, he's great, man. That guy can hit the notes. He's He really, really has something you know, very talented going on with his voice, but he doesn't have that color that I, I really relate to. And, you know, Miles Kennedy, it's recently come out that he was actually working with the Zeppelin guys after Sabbath, or what's Sabbath, what am I saying? After Plant um, did not want to do a full-fledged reunion with them. They were working with Miles Kennedy, and apparently John Paul Jones recently said he wanted to keep working with the guy, but Jimmy Page did not. And I could see touring, doing a Zeppelin tour, you know, or, or whatever you want to call Jason Bonham, Jimmy Page, John Paul Jones, and Miles Kennedy. I could see doing a tour with them, and I'd probably go and enjoy it because I do think Miles delivers live. But when it comes to being just a unique-sounding and original-sounding voice, he doesn't do it for me. And I still need to listen to more Altered Bridge, and I will give you my verdict on that band soon enough because I know a lot of you guys are into them and have been telling me to check them out. So I, I don't know. I think the thing that makes a great singer like Udo is just that that sound that no one else has. And if they do have, they're just copying you. And I, I think that's what I relate to. Even a guy like Chris Cornell, who you know has the range or Maynard from Tool, if you want to talk about like bands from the 90s. The, those guys, to me, have that unique sound to their voice, who so many other people have tried to emulate and sound just like. But they're the originals, and, and they have a color to their voice. And both those guys have great range, especially Cornell. I mean, Maynard, too. And I don't, Maynard claims he can't sing like he used to, but um, who knows? Uh, as far as his range goes, because we don't really get to see him in Tool anymore. I know he goes out and does his other little projects, Pussifer or whatever they're called. I haven't heard anything about A Perfect Circle. There was a rumor they were going to be getting together, but nothing has come through on that as far as I know. 
But even David Lee Roth, I mean, all these guys, it's the color of the voice that makes a great singer, in my opinion. And I think that's what I relate to. And, you know, I've, as much as I like Tony Martin, I've been listening to a lot of those Sabbath records with him recently and just feel like the one thing I don't relate to on him is, is the color of his voice. He sounds very similar to other people, just but he's not the original, you know, and and uh, I'm sorry if, if you guys are big Tony Martin fans and listening to that, because I actually do have a lot of respect for Tony Martin and do believe that he wrote some great songs and did, did a great job singing on those records. It's just a guy like Dio is amazing because Dio had the range. He had the technical skill that a lot of these great singers have, but he also had his own individual unique sound and... It even went, you know, with Dio and a lot of these guys, it even went beyond just the color of his voice. He had a whole, a whole like story that he could weave with his voice, his lyrics, his, I don't, you know, and, and, and just really pull you in. And wow, Dio was so great. Cause again, in, in Dio's prime, he really had the range and, and, he, you know, was technically a good singer, but also just had that wonderful, unique color to his voice that there was no mistaking. We definitely miss Dio. I recently checked out a great documentary called Last Days Here about Bobby, the singer of Pentagram. I highly recommend you check this thing out. It it is great. It is great. And now I'm going to talk a little bit about the documentary. So if you're planning to watch it and don't want to know what happens at the end of it, tune out now. So, yeah, Bobby obviously is addicted to drugs in, in the movie, and we see him find his way and kind of get back on track. Bobby Liebling, if you don't know, was the singer of Pentagram, kind of the leader of the band, if you will, and he was doing Sabbath-like style music in like 73, 74, which so few bands were doing. I actually hear, have always said this, I've, I've always... I've actually always said that I've heard a big Iggy Pop Stooges influence on his music too, and I believe I was—I've been correct in that because in the movie, it one there was a shot of uh, the Raw Power album or poster behind him in his room at one point. So just imagine like that Raw Power record by the Stooges combined with like you know the Paranoid Sabbath record, and you have early Pentagram. Now they never put albums out in the '70s; they only did singles and it wasn't until the 80s that they finally got their act together to start putting albums out and their sound in the 80s was different than the sound they had in the 70s anyways pentagram just a great band if you haven't discovered them yet definitely do yourself a favor and go listen to them and if you have heard them already you definitely need to check out the movie last days here a documentary about bobby and the documentary Ends on a high note. Again, tune out if you don't want to hear what the what, what happens at the end of this documentary. Ends on a high note with Bobby getting married and his wife pregnant. I will say that since the documentary, I've been in touch with uh, some of the people associated with the documentary. Things haven't gone quite as uh, cheery and nice. Uh, the high point that the documentary ends on has not continued for Bobby, unfortunately. His wife, Hallie, 
recently posted on her Facebook page uh, that she is separated. And I also, you know, I've been in touch with other guys from the movie, too, who have told me that, you know, Bobby has been in a really dark place. So we're hoping that everything improves for Bobby. We're hoping his, uh, his, his baby, I believe it's a son, is, is doing uh, okay. And we hope to get Bobby on Talking Metal at some point soon. So there you go. Check out Last Days Here, a great documentary. I got to loan it to John so he, he can watch it. I guess we should probably play Pentagram after that, right? This is off of First Days Here 2. It is a lot of the songs that they recorded back in the 70s, which I believe were released as singles or demos and never really officially put on an actual LP, if you were. This is the opening track. I love this song. I mean, talk about the raw power Stooges sound meets Black Sabbath. Listen to this song and tell me if there's any other better way to describe this. It's called Wheel Fortune by Pentagram.
Wow, that goes back to 1973, 1974, Pentagram. Like I said, definitely check the documentary out. Last Days Here, about Bobby from Pentagram. Right now we're going to get into a little Anthrax along with their cello player, or the cello player who played with them on their last record, Worship Music. Her name is Allison Chesley from Helen Money. And after we hear this Anthrax song, we're going to get right into an interview with Allison. So here we go. This is Hymn One off of Worship Music going straight into the song In the End, followed by my interview with Allison Chesley.
On the line, we have Allison Chesley calling in. Allison, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Mark? I'm doing good. Now, do you prefer to be called Allison Chesley or Helen Money? Uh, it doesn't matter. My real name is Allison. So, Helen Money is more of just a stage name for you, then? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of the name I gave to what I'm doing, I guess. Um, it's a bit confusing. I apologize. Oh, no, that's that's no problem at all. Where does the where does the stage name Helen Money come from? Well, it was just something I felt like it, I felt like it would be nice to have a name that wasn't my name. It could be a little um, then then whatever I, what I'm doing with my music could be whatever I wanted. I could have more people join me, or and it's kind of nice to have it one step removed a little. It's it's just it's more has more possibility for me than if it's just me. I got you. Now, the new album that is, uh, it's been released already, correct? Right. It came out on February 5th. Right. It's called Arriving Angels. It sounds great. I've really enjoyed listening to it. And I wanted to talk to you about some of the people that were involved in the record with you. Can you talk a little bit about the drummer who plays on some of the songs with you? Yeah, Jason Roeder. He's great. Um, he, um, Jason, obviously, everyone knows he's a neurosis, and, uh, I know Jason, I hadn't met him until the sessions, but he had come see me play when I was touring for my first album back in 2007. He saw me play at a punk rock show in Petaluma, actually. Um, he didn't come up and introduce himself. Um, I had found out about this later, and then, the record, Jason, Jason, because he knew my stuff and he was kind of a fan, was into it. So um, that's how that happened. But uh, he was—he's got a great sound. He's—he's he's played, a, recorded a lot with Neurosis at Steve's studio in Chicago. So he knew the room really well. Um, he had listened to the tracks, knew exactly what he wanted to do. He was just—he was great, and he's a really nice guy. Cool. Yeah, he sounds great on the record too. And now you mentioned Steve. Yeah being Steve Albini, of course. Now, right. can you talk about what his involvement with the record was? Well, Steve and I have known each other for a while. Um, I've done, when I, I, uh, I don't live in Chicago right now. I moved to L.A. a couple of years ago, but I was there for about 20 years, and I was involved. I was at his studio a lot for a lot of sessions on other people's records, like Mono and Russian Circles, and, uh, and I got to know Steve that way. And then he had asked me, to open for them for Shellac, his band. This was probably four years ago or something. Um, and since then, I've, I've done about six tours with them, opening for them. 
so he knows my music very well. Um, he knows what sound I, I'm going for. So um, when I went into the studio to work with him, it was very easy. He, you know, to, to set up and get the amps going and get a good sound. It was like I didn't even have to think about it. And then he doesn't like to insert himself into the into the production process. But um, since it's just me doing this, he was often very helpful when I needed some advice or we were at a point where I, he would just say the, just the right thing. Um, like on, um, on one of the tracks, um, Beautiful Friends at the end, he says, you know, that might sound really cool with some piano chords at the end. And uh, I think I said to him, something a little more at the end and, and it was the perfect solution and I just love that's probably my one of my favorite moments on the record cool and yeah I was actually planning to play Beautiful Friends after we're uh, done with the interview here so that's, that's a great song by the way yeah excellent thank you now for the Talking Metal listener Steve Albini of course is, is known for his band Shellac which Allison just mm-hmm. mentioned but also as being a producer who has worked with everybody from Robert Plant and Jimmy Page to, of course, Neurosis and Urge Overkill, Nirvana. The list just goes on and on and on. So uh, that's very, very great that he's working with you and believes in what you're doing. Yeah, he's got a, he's got, he does what he believes in. He's, uh, he really, you know, he's, he's got a pretty strong sense of, uh, of, I don't know if it's ethics or it's just very, strong sense of himself and what he feels right about, and he, he sticks to it, so it's really admirable, you know. Um, so I'm really um, I'm really grateful that he's into what I'm doing, um, and I really like what he does. I love what Shellac does. I like, I like their music. I like Steve's guitar playing, actually, a lot. So, yeah, it's, I feel real fortunate to have to met all those guys. Well, now, when you play live, and for that matter, in the studio, too, what... What effects do you actually use? Because obviously we're hearing a cello, but it, sometimes it almost sounds guitar-like, with, and I'm guessing that has a lot to do with not only your technique, but just uh, a lot of the gear and, and, and effects and pedals and amps and stuff that you're using. Uh, so what what actually, uh, what are some of the pedals you use? Uh, specifically or just the types? Yeah, I guess I guess the types would be would be more what I'm looking for. Yeah, well, distortion and delay are the big ones that I rely on. Um, and then I, the amp I like to use is very, it's a tube amp, so it's warm sounding. Um, it brings out the bass. The other part of the, uh, the equation is the fact that I'm playing on a hollow body instrument, playing on a real cello. So that allows for a lot of interesting feedback. And also, um, just the tone, I feel like, because I'm playing on a real instrument is, is big and deep. So, um, but it, so it starts with the cello and then the amp and then the pedals. Interesting, because the album has a very organic feel, if you will, and you mentioned, you know, we, we talk about effects, but then on the flip side of that, you're, you're using a tube amp, and I was reading you guys actually record to tape, too. Is that correct? That's right. That's right, yeah. And uh, the, um, the microphones that Steve is using um, really get a nice, warm sound, I think. Um, but yeah, I think the tape definitely helps. And the room we recorded in, the great live room. 
And Steve's studio is in the Chicago area, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. I, I think I've, oh, shoot, I, I don't know how long he's had it, maybe since the mid-90s. Um, yeah, he pretty much built it. Um, you know, I don't know all the details, but I believe, like, even he specified the type of clay that they use in the bricks in the building because he knew it would be better for the sound. Um, but it's just down to the, the down to the detail <laughs> built for getting a good sound um, from performances in there, and then all the equipment is uh, is really good equipment. Uh, every you know, everything's kept up really great. It's, it's just it's a wonderful studio. I, I love I love working there. Cool. And now I wanted to ask you too about the way you play. A lot of times it almost sounds on at least on the C D, I've never seen you live, but it sounds like there's at least one cello, maybe two or three playing at once. Is this uh a lot of this I'm guessing is done with delay pedals as opposed to overdubs? Um well no, I use a few loopers. a few they're called phrase recorders. Um and so I um I store phrases on there and then I play along with them, or I will, um, like, uh, have them come in at certain moments. So they kind of like my band, really. Um, I don't really have many songs where I'm not using those pedals. And what you're doing with your with your Helen Money music is obviously not classical music, but the instrument that you play, most people would think of that as being a, uh, an instrument that is used in classical music. Were you trained in, as a classical musician, first and foremost? Yeah, yeah. I started when I was eight and uh, had lessons, and then I went to undergrad, and and then went to grad school. Actually, I was going to go on and get my doctorate, and uh, then I met a musician in Chicago, Jason Arducci, and we both uh, came from the same kind of um, place, Musically, we both loved Bob Mould. Uh, we liked Copper Blue. We liked The Who. We liked all the kind of punk rock bands. And we started to play together. And then at that point, I realized that I really wanted to play this music that I loved on my cello. And then it was just kind of adding pedals to it. So it was like I'm just, it was like I was a guitarist, but I had a cello. Right. <laughs> I was just trying to, to, to create parts that fit in with the songs we were doing. It just, I mean, I, I'm sure Jason wanted to play with me because I played cello, but as me, it was just, that's what I knew how to play. So that's, um, that's kind of, I like, I like guitars. I, I don't really listen to much cello music, actually, even though I love it. But I, I was trying to, that's, that's what I'm going for, is that the music I love, trying to make that on my instrument. Very nice. Now, we, of course, are called the Talking Metal Podcast, so I have to ask you about your involvement on the last Anthrax record, Worship Music. How did that come about? That was really fun. Um, I actually just saw Charlie at the Grammy Awards. Um, they got nominated for one of the songs on the record that I was on. I didn't play on that specific song, but um, that came about because I was in Chicago and their engineer knew about me and recommended me to Charlie. And so I went over to his place, actually his house, 
and we recorded, I think, three tracks, maybe. Um, he had some definite ideas, and then I had some ideas, and uh, so I just put the cello parts on top of what was already recorded, and um, then the album just didn't come out for a while. Like, I'm not sure exactly what happened, but I think the singer left and then came back or something, so... So when I finally got the record in the mail and listened to it, it was like, oh yeah, I remember playing that. How cool! <laughs> but uh, it was—he was a really Charlie was a really nice guy to work with. He was really excited about the cello, and I think at one point I, had, I even let him try and play it. <laughs> so that was—it was really fun. Yeah. And Charlie, I think they're orig- Anthrax is an, originally a New York band, but I think he actually lives in the Chicago area now. That's right. Yeah. Excellent. Now, when you go out on tour, will you just be touring as a solo artist, or will you be bringing a drummer with you? No, I think it's just me. You know, at this point, I don't really can't afford to ask someone to come out with me. I wouldn't want to ask someone to come out and not be able to, you know, compensate them the way I'd like to. But in the future, definitely, I would like to do that. So it it may be that there will be a few shows that I'll have someone play with me. I'd love it to be Jason, but we haven't really talked about it at this point. So it's something that's going to happen. It's just not in the immediate future, I think. Very good. But I will be able, I, yeah, I'm able to trigger trigger the drum stuff myself. And they're very loop-like, so it really, I think it works well with just me and, uh, and, and my gear up on stage. And I know you're coming through the New York area, I think, in, in a month or two. Has has the tour right. started at this point? It's going to start March 15th in Chicago, and then I'll do about a week and a half. Uh, going to go up to Canada and then down through Brooklyn, go to Philadelphia. Um, not playing Cleveland, even though I love Cleveland. You guys are in Cleveland, right? No, we're actually in New Jersey. Uh, we're about... Oh, okay. Yeah. We're we're just outside of New York City, so I know that's why I mentioned uh, the the New York show you're playing at uh, Saint Vitus, I think, in out in Brooklyn. Yeah, I think it's on the twenty third. I think it's a Friday night, and then I'm actually coming back to Brooklyn two days later, later to push another show. I'm not sure which venue that's at. Oh, okay. But, uh, yeah, that should that should be really fun. I'm really looking forward to that. Very good. Well, hopefully, we'll be able to attend the show and check you out live when you're in Brooklyn. And we wish you the best of luck. Great. Thank you so much, Mark. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. And uh, again, we encourage the Talking Metal listeners to check out the music. It's definitely unique. And I think it's definitely heavy, which I think a lot of metalheads are going to be into this. So uh, please. Well, thank you. I think it is too. But uh, I guess you'll be the judge. Right. Where's the best place for the uh, listeners to check you out online? Well, uh, you can go to the Profound Lore website. They have my record up there. And then also my website, tellingmoney.com. I've got all three of my records up there. Um, and then my Facebook uh, page, Telling Money, has some track streaming. Excellent. Great. All right, Allison, thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. Thanks a lot. Take care.
Okay, that was Beautiful Friends by Helen Money off the album Arriving Angels. Go and pick that up on iTunes. Definitely support her when she comes through your town. Go check her out, buy a t-shirt, and show some love for Helen Money. And a big thanks to Allison Chesley for joining us on Talking Metal. Now we get to the Talking Metal emails, which are constantly coming in. This comes in from Stephen Bell. Uh, let's see. Yes. Oh, Stephen, yeah, you uh, sent a, a uh, donation in. So big thanks to you for that. And we're going to play some music for you right now. This is the song you requested, Mr. Stephen Bell. It is Ruin from Luna Mortis. And you said in your email, great band. I found out about them through you. I'm sad they broke up. You guys keep doing what you're doing. I've found so much new music from your podcast. I'll try and donate more from time to time, but you know how expensive it is to have two kids. Yeah, I definitely do. Hey, Stephen, thanks so much. Hey, maybe a bit of good news. I, I Check this out. Go to Blabbermouth or Brave Words or something and just search Luna Mortis because I could have sworn I saw something stating they were going to be uh, getting back together and doing some shows. So check that out. So maybe that's a bit of good news for you. In the meantime, this is Ruin from Luna Mortis.
Stephen Bell. Ruin by Luna Mortis. Thanks, man, for helping us out here on Talking Metal. Here's another email. Hey, Mark and John, I was just listening to episode 399 and was compelled to write in again. I'm a longtime listener and still enjoy your podcast. I think the last time I wrote in, you guys read it on episode 166. Always, Anyways, what makes me write in today is hearing Mark's story of the Motley Crue guitar pick and giving it to a dude in the wheelchair. This brought a smile to my face and makes me believe that metal fans are the most generous and thoughtful people on earth. Just the day before... Just the day before listening to that episode, I was in the mall food court listening to Three Inches of Blood and inhaling a couple of tacos. I saw two Canadian Force military personnel getting some lunch at the booth. I immediately got up and shook their hands and thanked them for what they do for my family, and I then bought them their lunches. To me, this is what metalheads are all about. It's not about the motherfucker who knocks you on your ass in the mosh pit. It's about the fucking guy who picks you right back up again. Cool, man. Cool, man. Thank you. And that comes in from uh, from James up in Calgary. Thanks, James. Always appreciate your support and great story. And, yeah, man, keep rocking. Take a sip of my Starbucks. Uh, this is an early morning podcast, actually. Ah, Starbucks. A little vanilla flavoring in my uh, Starbucks today. All right. Um, Patrick sent in some money. Hey, Mark, thanks for all the years of talking metal. I'm listening to you since almost the beginning. Songwish, if you could play me Like the Oar Strikes the Water by the Swedish band Grand Magus. Love this band. They play together with Angel Witch and Enforcer this Friday. It's going to be a blast. Keep up the talking metal. F- keep up the talking metal flame once more. Thanks a lot for all the fun I had listening to you guys through the years. Cheers from Patrick in Switzerland. You bet, pa- Patrick. Uh, we've definitely played these guys before. I'm fairly certain on talking metal, but yeah, let's get into it. This is like the ore strikes the water.
cool. Grand Magus on Talking Metal. Is that how you pronounce that? Magus? Magus, I don't know. Anyways, good stuff. Thanks, Patrick, for your donation. Let's keep it rolling here. Another email from you guys. Hey, Mark, just listened to episode 400 of Talking Metal and really loved it. I just started listening. I first started listening to it in 2008 and have listened to everyone since. It became a staple part of my life. It's always good to hear you and John back together on an episode, and though it doesn't happen very often, it makes it all the more enjoyable. Yeah, it's going to happen more, man. Don't worry. Don't worry. From what I've gathered from a lot of the recent podcasts with just you, people are criticizing the podcast because it's only you and because of the lack of interviews, uh, which is how the podcast used to be. But fuck them. You both have your own lives and other commitments. Things change, and just the fact that you find time to still produce a great podcast is impressive. You do a sterling job with the podcasts that you do by yourself and don't let the haters detract you from that. On a personal note, I recently lost my job and have a two-month-old baby, so money will be tight until I find a new job. But once I do, I will definitely donate some money to keep the Talking Metal podcast alive. Take care and hope you and your family are well. Yeah, man, I appreciate that. Uh, this guy's name is is Mark from England. So thanks, Mark. Is that right? Much love from England. I'm not sure who this... I don't know if, that, if his name's Mark or not. Uh, anyways, whoever you are, thanks for your email. And if you can't make a donation or buy a T-shirt in the store section on TalkingMetal.com, you can still go to iTunes and write a review. Now, the way I'm told, uh, or what I'm told, is the more activity you get on that review board on iTunes, the higher your profile gets on the iTunes store. So everybody go write a review for Talking Metal on iTunes. Honestly, the way I understand it, it doesn't even matter if it's a bad review. We'd, of course, prefer them to be good reviews. But uh, any activity we get going on the uh, the Talking Metal iTunes review comments section there is a good thing. So go do that, and you will be supporting the talk- Talking Metal podcast. Yeah, I'd love to bring back the live 365 streams. I had a lot of fun with those, you know, and I've been thinking a lot about that. Uh, I just don't know. It's it's expensive, but I had two of them going before. Maybe I would just do one. If we can up the profile of Talking Metal a little bit, which I promise you we're trying to do constantly, you know, even though we haven't been doing interviews, I, I swear every month, every sometimes every week, John and I both are personally working to make something more happen with what we do here on Talking Metal. And maybe someday something will happen again. I mean, we've had some good luck with the Fuse show, with the six or seven episodes we hosted of Headbangers Ball. You know, we've had some good luck. So we're, we're shooting for something like that again, although nothing is, uh, nothing's happening at this, at this moment. But let me tell you, we are talking with lots of people as as usual, even more so than than usual, to be honest. So, fingers crossed, guys. And if anything new happens, whether it's satellite radio, whether it's another TV show, whether it is uh, you know John um, joining Ace's band, <laughs> you know you will be the first to know here on the Talking Metal podcast. Hey, stranger things have happened, right? Tour managers uh, have ended up uh, lead guitar players in in bands. Matter of fact, one of them was on the the last episode of this podcast, Tommy Thayer. 
So big, big thanks to Tommy. Some of you guys are fucking assholes. The stuff that you were saying about him to e- in emails to me and on uh, comment sections on Blabbermouth and stuff. Tommy's a good guy. Uh, I think he would have received a lot less shit if they would have given him his own makeup. But the flip side of that is they had very, a lot invested in these characters with comic books, products, and all this other stuff, and they didn't want to stray from that. But uh, who, who knows? Kiss did what they did, and I've come to accept it after not accepting it for a long time. You know, Tommy is wearing... The makeup that Ace used to wear, Ace's makeup for that for that matter, and Peter is or Eric is wearing Peter's makeup. So be it. The band sounds great. If you've happened to see them live in concert, they sound better than ever. Actually, really, really good. So, big thanks to Tommy for coming and doing an interview. He doesn't do a lot of interviews, so we were thrilled to get him on the Talking Metal podcast. Somebody else tweeted, oh, Eddie Trunk must be crying. Talking Metal uh, just interviewed Tommy Thayer. Uh, listen, Eddie's, Eddie's the king, guys. Uh, you know, Eddie has a syndicated FM radio show. He's got a serious satellite radio show. He's got a show on uh, VH1. He's got a lot more than we do. And um, Eddie and Kiss don't get along. That's not secret knowledge at all. Um, and us having Tommy Thayer on Talking Metal has really nothing to do with Eddie Trunk. Uh, I respect Eddie Trunk quite a bit, and I definitely have to say I do respect Tommy Thayer, and I, I am glad he is keeping alive the KISS band, and not only that, just the KISS tradition, if you will, the KISS sound. I mean, like I said, I really believe the Monster record is great. It took me a little while to to get on board with it, but that's a lot of times how great records are for me personally. It takes me a little time to get on board. Looking forward to a new Queensryche record, hopefully coming out this year. I just bought my Jeff Tateless Queensryche tickets, so that should be interesting. Going to check them out in Jersey next month. Uh, let's try to bang through a couple of quick emails. This one it was addressed to John, but I think he actually meant to send it to me. I uh, just finished listening to episode 401, another great show. I've been meaning to send you a note for several weeks to comment on your last sh- few shows, but I haven't gotten around to it. The History of Metal show was cool. I forget the year. That was 73, but you know what I mean. Show 398 with you, John, and Bud was great. Last summer, I emailed you bitching about Bud, but in this episode, it seemed like he was a part of the discussion, so that was cool. Anyways, I recently started getting into a band from my old stomping grounds in South Florida. I bought their album off their website and later found the album on Spotify. If you want to check them out, they're called Kill the Messenger. And the album is If Genghis Khan, Why Can't I? I admit I'm not a huge fan of the vocal style anymore, but musically they're pretty good. I'd recommend the song An Axe to Grind. All right, let's check a little bit out right now. This is An Axe to Grind.
Thank you, Eric, for your $50 donation. You rock, and uh, that was your request right there, an axe to grind. Wow, you guys are great, man. A lot of money coming in from you guys. I appreciate you doing this to help uh, keep alive what we do here. Honestly, if you stopped sending money in, I think I would still keep doing the podcast, but it just, you know, it adds a little fuel to the fire, if you will. And we'll end with one last email and then get the fuck out of here. Mark, best episode in a while. Oh, he's this is a subject, episode 398. Mark, best episode in a long time. I love the fact that astronomy is back on a somewhat regular basis, but friendly is always welcome too. You guys finally seem to be getting back to what got me hooked on Talking Metal. I can't wait for you to start doing interviews again, as you say you are going to. I hope you got time for some criticism too. Now hear me out, Mark. You often... Just say, whatever, fuck you. I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm trying to give you honest feedback. Sure, that's cool, Joel. Whatever, shoot it at me. Uh, I'll take feedback, especially from a longtime loyal listener like yourself. Sometimes the show does get boring. Sometimes you flog a dead horse. You know you wish astronomy... We know you wish astronomy was doing more, but I think most of us understand that being Ace's assistant cuts into that time. 
I think we all wish he was on more, but it is what it is. Dude, it's fucking awesome that John is working for one of the greatest guitarists in rock history. But I'm just waiting for you guys to change the name to Talking Kiss. It really gets old. I can't remember the last episode you had where you didn't talk about the band. Anyways, dude, it's great that the show is getting on, and in my opinion, the right track again. Thanks for listening, Joel. Uh, yeah, Joel. Um, and he goes on to write. I started writing this. Uh, he says, P.S. I started writing this after 398, and most of it was in my draft, in my outbox. I just finished. And blah, blah, blah. Listen to 399, 400, 401, and posted. The last few episodes have been fantastic. In 400, you had Generation Kill, and that was an awesome interview. Great way to get back to interviewing. I remember in that episode, uh, and Joel, don't forget there was an ep- uh, interview in 399, too. I remember in that episode, I think he's referring to 400, you and John talked about CC Banana and Bud Friendly. You said some love them, some hate them. I'm in the love em group. It's too bad about CeCe, but keep having Bud on because he is great. One thing I think you should talk about new metal a bit more. You always talk about older bands that people don't call metal and justify it as those bands being the beginning of metal. Yeah, dude, I'm not going to get into that discussion again. You know what? Some of these new bands that think they're metal, I honestly don't think they're metal. Uh, go back, you know, uh, bands from the 70s, you know, Michael Shanker was considered metal, you know, back in the 70s and 80s. Now people might not say he's metal. And if 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 metal has only become extreme metal, then call it extreme metal. You know, it's it's like there's there's so many different genres of metal now. You know what? Poison is fucking metal. It's glam metal. You know, listen to a song like what uh what the cat drags in. Look what the cat dragged in. That's that's a glam metal song. Uh, you know, I'm sorry if, if if everything has to be super heavy for you to consider it metal, but it's not. And uh, <clears throat> it's a, you know, a wide, wide umbrella metal at this point. Listen, I listened to everything from, I was listening to Enslaved on the, on the way in to work uh, the other day. And I listened to him. I listened to Black Veil Brides. I listened to the new Chakra. Uh, Pentagram, I've been listening a lot to, Dio, Iron Maiden. I mean, fuck, even I was listening to Fool for the City by Foghat, a hard rock band that may or may not have been called, you know, heavy metal at one point, you know. Uh, So, you know, I don't need to justify it. You know, you know what I'm saying, Joel. Um, Saxon, to me, that's, listen to... Some Saxon. That's definitive heavy metal. Judas Priest, you know, the Screaming for Vengeance record. That's definitive heavy metal. And stuff that's heavier and stuff that's softer can still fit under that umbrella. And maybe the reason we don't play a lot of new bands is I'm a fucking old dude, you know? I listen to the old school stuff, man. I try to listen to newer stuff as much as I can. But a lot of times, like most people, I end up gravitating towards the stuff I personally grew up with or stuff that sounds similar to the stuff I grew up with. And there's so many other good shows out there. I mean, you know, if you got serious, you can turn into, you know, Jose's show. He plays a lot of newer shit. I actually learn a lot about about uh, rock from his show, you know. So, um, yeah, that's that.
Yeah, so hopefully the next show will be this, uh, you know, this History of Oz thing. Let's end with a couple songs and get the fuck out of here. This is Eyes of the Insane by Slayer. Eyes of the Insane by Slayer. <laughs> oh, excuse me. <coughs> Let's end with a little fight, a little Mr. Rob Halford. This is Into the Pit. See you next time, guys. Make a donation on TalkingMetal.com using that PayPal button and buy a fucking t-shirt. Into the Pit by Fight. Fight.